I was quite surprised. Especially as they found it easier to go than to come back. Because when the time came to back, come back, the bridges were closed, the buses had stopped running, there were armed police on the tubes, and nothing was seems to make it easy to get back to Waterloo. However, they made it, bless them. And uh, they are now uh, ready to look ahead to the new year, as we are. I wonder what you uh, have been thinking as the old year has rolled away and the new year comes uh, hoving into view. Uh, and I wish you, right at the outset, a very happy new year. I don't know about you. I, I look around at the world outside and it doesn't seem as good as it often has been at this point in the beginning of a new year. We're consumed by fears about um, Putin and Trump and not quite sure what they're going to get up to. The situation in the Middle East uh, with Syria and Turkey and Iran and all the rest, nobody's quite sure what's going to happen and what the outcome will be in the balance of world powers. The Islamic State, so-called, is still busy with its terrorist attacks. And um, again, we were reminded of that in London last night. And religious extremists seem to be around wherever they can be. And in the middle, the whole of our society seems to be moving away from a situation where there is a basis, um, however tenuous, of religious faith to a, a militant secularism which seems to be fighting against uh, every attempt to bring uh, a, a, a theistic view, a godly view, to bring Christ onto the stage. And as I thought about all this, I thought, hmm, I wonder what it was like for Simeon. And I found, if you look at those same headings, it was pretty much the same. The world powers were dominated by um, Rome and not everybody was happy with that, especially if they had to do whatever they were told. Um, as they, they had to put up with um, Herod, for example, under Roman authority, going to Bethlehem and slaying all the innocent under two-year-olds there that he could find. And... Um, I guess the mothers of those children would identify quite closely with the people, the mothers of Aleppo, some of them, as they watch their children disappear, die of starvation or um, war um, in the last few weeks and months. The Sicarii, the Daggermen, were around, and they were... Um, ready to go up any dark alley and stick a knife in a Roman soldier or anybody else who happened to be there. And the Roman response was pretty awful. And it seems from what Jesus said later on in his ministry that the temple worship was not going through a very good time. There was a certain formality about it, empty formality about it. Nothing wrong with formality, but empty formality. And there seemed to be um, a, a moving towards 
the worship of power and money rather than the following of the one true God. The Sadducees were cozying up to the authorities to gain power and influence. The priests were just going about their business of offering sacrifices. The Pharisees were trying to lay on everybody's backs uh, rules and regulations which were heavy, unnecessary, and, and killing any true spirit of faith uh, and worship. It was in that temple, however, that we meet Simeon. We only meet him once, and you'll find, uh, you might want to follow what I have to say by looking at the story on page 1028 in your Bibles. Um, Simeon had a living and a real faith, we're told, in verse 25. It was a faith which, looking at it, was, it was based on word and spirit, a balance which we always need to get right. We're told in verse 25 that he was righteous, that he was a good living man. He tried to work out in his behavior what he believed in his heart. He was devout. He studied the scriptures and seemed to know them very well indeed. And he was waiting, we're told. Waiting for signs of the promised Messiah to come. He was a man who had a consciousness of the whole of Old Testament history, from the creation to the fall, to Abraham's covenant, to the, to the times of King David and the development of the monarchy, to the dis disasters of the exile and the hope of a future and a real understanding of what the prophets had to say about all that. But if he was righteous and devout and waiting, I noticed that those are not things which he actually did. They were things that he was. It tells me more about his heart than his behavior. And his heart was sound. It was sound because he was rooted in those Old Testament scriptures. Many of his day could recite great chunks of them. Those aspiring to be rabbis could recite the whole of the Old Testament as we know it before they were qualified. That's not bad. And he had his eye open to God's eternal plan. And he read the world about him, all the Roman threats, the deadness of the temple religion, the um, terrorist fears, and all the rest. He read those in the light of what he had got from God through his word and through his spirit. And we know that he was following God's spirit because we're told that. God had sent her, God had guided him by his spirit to be looking out in those days for the coming of the Messiah. So when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to the temple to be dedicated to the Lord, verse 22, he was the firstborn 
child, and he was a male, and so uh, the firstborn male child was always dedicated. So they come to do that, as was required by the law. Um, and Mary had come to offer her sacrifice as part of her purification after childbirth, and they were fulfilling the requirements of the law before returning home to Nazareth, verse 39. They were taking part in the normal temple services of worship. Faith was not dead in the land for all the cynical commercialization of religion by the, Pharisee, by the Sadducees, for all the cluttering of simple things by man-made operations of the Pharisees. In the shadows of the temple, a godly man was waiting. He appears nowhere else in the pages of Scripture. We know very little about him. We don't know where he lived or what he did. But we are told, told that he was called Simeon, and he had his eyes open. He had his eyes open to what God might be expected to show him. Like every good Jew, he'd known that the Messiah would come one day, but unlike most Jews, he had studied the Scriptures. He had um, uh, quoted from them in, in the passage that uh, Alex read to us. Isaiah had four powerful prophecies about the one who is called the servant. We heard part of the first one in chapter 2 of Isaiah, in chapter 42 of Isaiah. We were told that the servant would be God's chosen one, filled with his spirit. He would bring, um, he would bring a new age of justice. He would bring new hope to the downtrodden. He would open the eyes of the blind and release, them, um, in the, release those in the dungeon. And he would come to bring light to the Gentiles and glory to his people. So, Simeon probably knew those verses off by heart. But as he looked at a cruel and harsh world around him, dominated by powers over whom he had no control, he knew that God had the whole wide world in his hand, and the day was coming when he would break in and keep his promise. But he didn't know when that promise would come true. So he waited. That doesn't mean to say he was just hanging around the temple, passing the time of day. Waiting in scripture is active, not passive. It's an attitude of heart and mind. It's a longing of the heart that is expecting God to speak to us, to show us himself. It's a, it's a waiting that looks in the days, uh, in the everyday things that, of life that we experience day by day. We're expecting to see God to be there in that situation. And Luke tells us in verses 25 and 26, he was waiting and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. The line was open. He was expecting a call. Sometimes God speaks to us like that. Not often, maybe pretty rarely. But, but when he does, you need to keep the line open. So moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, uh, Dave, uh, Jesus, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. You see what's going on here? Simeon was open to the Holy Spirit. It had been revealed to him. I don't know how it had been revealed to him, 
but miraculously he knew from an inner conviction that before he died he would see the Lord's Messiah. It was a conviction relating to the teaching of Scripture and confirmed by the Holy Spirit to Simeon. God had spoken to him personally. So what was the first thing he did? He went up to Mary and he took the child from her and put him in his arms. There's a wonderful painting which Rembrandt painted um, of how um, on that uh, time in the temple, um, Simeon had um, put um, Jesus there. He was looking down at him. The light was shining on Jesus, the light of the world. And it was a wonderful um, thing for, for to see. And he praised God. He blessed God for this. The word is eulogy. He, 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 um, it was an outpouring of thanksgiving and blessing and praise and glory to God. The first thing you do when you pray. It's a way to acknowledge that God has answered your prayer. And he said, Mine eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all people. It's now in the open for everyone to see. Because this child in front of me is the light which will lighten the Gentiles. This child in front of me is the glory of your people Israel. It's like the Shekinah glory in the Exodus when they were following the ark. And by night there was a light over it and by day there was a cloud over it. It represented God's glory. Jesus has been born into our world. He couldn't be more part of his world. He subjected himself to Mary's womb and the indignity of a human birth so that he could be part of us. And he's brought with him the glory. And so when we're looking for the glory, that's where we start. I was intrigued by the difference in those two pictures which Rembrandt painted. The first one was a picture of uh, the, the scene of Simeon in the temple in the days um, when, uh, when Rembrandt was just 25. He hadn't been long uh, learning his craft. And he concentrated in that first picture on the wonderful architecture of the temple, on the brilliance of the robes of the priests, and of the uh, Sadducees and Pharisees, on the huge um, surroundings. And yes, there was Simeon there in the middle somewhere, and uh, yes, uh, the child was there um, being held out to him. But in the second painting that Simeon did, I'm so sorry I can't get them up on the screen there, they're waiting and I failed again. Um, but the second painting, Jesus um, is right there, under Simeon's, uh, right under his eyes. And the look on Simeon's face is one of sheer, unadulterated worship and joy. At the end of his life, he has found something which he didn't know about when he painted that first one. But now he does. And he expresses it as he looks down in worship at the light of the world. So he says, it was all right to go. 
he started those words of that non Dimittis, which some of us remember from our evensong days. Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to your word. For mine eyes have seen your salvation, which you have presented to us. So it was all right for Simeon to go. He'd seen the promised light of the world. And so he is all right that he should go and his, he should depart in peace. I was hugely um, moved when I realized <coughs> that that painting which Rembrandt had painted was the last painting he ever did. He went home that night and he died. And when they came into the studio the next morning, there was the painting still on the easel as he had left it. He saw in the child what other people often didn't. I was helped to see the implication of this this Christmas as I listened to a service being broadcast from St. James Piccadilly a week or so before Christmas, a week before Christmas. And um, it contained a song, which I, a Christmas song, almost a carol, which I'd never heard before. Um, and it's called, Mary, Did You Know? I'm not going to sing it to you, don't worry, but I'm going to say part of it to you, and I'd like you just to share with me in just entering into that scene in the temple with Simeon looking down at the promise of the ages. Mary, did you know your baby boy will one day walk on water? Mary, did you know your baby boy will save our sons and daughters? The child that you've delivered will soon deliver you. Mary, did you know your baby boy has walked where angels trod? And when you kiss your little baby, you have kissed the face of God? Mary, did you know? The blind will see, the deaf will hear, the dead will rise again, the lame will leap, the dumb will speak, the praises of the Lamb. Mary, did you know your baby boy is Lord of all creation? Mary, did you know your baby boy will one day rule the nations? Did you know your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? The sleeping child you're holding is the great I am. Mary, did you know? Mary and Joseph had just come to the temple to dedicate and consecrate their first male child, as the law required. Mary had come to offer a sacrifice in the ceremony of purification, and they were met by this lovely, godly man who took the baby Jesus into his arms and looking down, 
quoted that prophecy, Sovereign Lord, my eyes have seen your salvation, a light to lighten the Gentiles, the glory of your people Israel. Mary, did you know? You, sitting here this morning, me, did we know? And did we know that because he has become part of us through his mighty incarnation to be one of us, always one of us, we can always find him alongside us. Whatever experience we go through in 2017, Joseph and Mary, verse 33, marveled at what was said about him. They marveled. I'm glad got Joseph got a look in there. He comes first, actually. It says the parents. Some translations say Joseph and Mary marveled. I always feel a bit sorry. He gets a bit left out. He had so much to put up with. He was, um, he was prepared to take a girl who was pregnant not through him, and be subjected to all the abuse and hatred of his local village and community. But he understood what was going on. I like the story of the, um, the seven-year-old who had <coughs> gone home from a rehearsal <coughs> of the nativity play in his school very excited to tell his mum that uh, he'd got a major part in the, in the play. Oh dear, what, 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 what have you got? He said, I'm going to be Joseph, mum. And she said, oh, couldn't you get a speaking part? Joseph was there supporting Mary, and he marveled as Mary marveled at what was said about Jesus. And we're told towards the end of the story in chapter 2 that Mary also treasured all these things in her heart. Isn't this what the Christmas story is really all about? Christ with us, Emmanuel, with us in every experience of life. And what we have to do is to look for him in ourselves, in our surroundings, not to be overwhelmed by all the things which get in the way, however fearful they might be. Because there in Christ is the Shekinah glory of God himself, shining in the darkness of a sinful world and coming forever to dwell amongst us, to share our pain as our hearts, like Mary's, were pierced to make clear to a crazy, mixed-up world the big picture God has for his world, a picture in which Jesus was into it, a world into which Jesus was born and lived a perfect life and died a death to make sure that when he rose again, he would be able, through the mystery of the crucifixion and resurrection, to make our way plain for us to go with him if we put our trust in him through the days of the rest of our lives and there for a hope right through eternity.
So I want to say to you as we finish, the risen Christ is not out there. He is part of the messiness of life. He is part of the joy, the sufferings of our world. That's incarnation. He calls us to see him as he is, to see him in our everyday lives. Those acts of kindness, inasmuch as you have done it unto one of these, the least of, of, of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me, Jesus said. This year, let's be more conscious of his presence within us as we study his word daily to see if these things are so. To know our Bibles backwards so that whatever happens, we can check it out about what the Bible teaches on whatever issue has been raised. Let's go out with a certain hope in our hearts that not only is he here with us now, but one day we shall see him as he is at the right hand of God and fall at his feet in love and worship. Let's keep the big picture in our hearts and minds every day of 2017.